Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Award-winning producer Raheem Shabazz continues the elementary genocide documentary series with the School to Prison Pipeline. That film exposes the social engineering done to African-American children in the school system. And his other film, Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus The Board of Incarceration, takes an even deeper look at the history of the American school system and how it was made to justify subjugating black Americans. These films are on track to be the most discussed films in black America. These films feature people like Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Kretz Welsing, and many, many more. The documentary is available right now at elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. I'm rolling solo today without my two lovely co-hosts, Goddess Fumi and Ashton Breon. And we are here with a special guest, Chief Latava, my Billy Django, and she's going to give us some inspirational words, and she's also going to tell us what she got going on and why she's here in Atlanta. Let's welcome Chief Latavia. I'm doing just great, brother. Thanks for having me. Did I mess your name up? Got it perfect. For those that get a little tongue-tied, such as myself, can you pronounce the correct pronunciation of your name? You said it perfect. It is Chief Latava Mabili Django. Okay. Mabili Django. I'm actually in Atlanta recording my portion of a documentary that's coming out called Hair Power, Natural Hair Power. And how are you liking Atlanta so far? Well, I'm familiar with Atlanta. Atlanta and I are familiar with one another. So, you know, I like it well enough. It's still in the States. It's still black folks of all kinds and various flavors. But I come here, I do my work. And I keep it moving, just like anywhere else. You also own some land here, correct? Well, my family has land here. And we also have land in Indiana. But we no longer live in the States, as far as my immediate family. I've taken my youngest children and I. We live in Belize. And so I'm back in the States for just a short period of time. This is actually the end of my visit here. So I'm down in Atlanta as part of exactly what I'm doing everywhere else, which is trying to do the most work within our community while I'm present in the community. Speaking of land, can you explain to our listeners how important it is as Africans to own land? If your liberation isn't land-based, you just have a study group. 
That's how important it is. If what you're doing is not toward land-based liberation, then you are still in the study phase, reading club, um, cipher group stage of your own awakening. And sometimes that's offensive to people because it's almost as if it sounds as if I'm demeaning that stage of growth and I'm not doing that by any stretch of the imagination. The reality is until you are providing for yourself, until you are growing any portion of your own food, until you are defining and carving out a space that you will allow your children to grow in peace and safe from harm from an external environment, you really have nothing to protect. You really are not in a position to exercise the things you're learning about. So it's, it's still theoretical knowledge. It's not practically applied. So land is of utmost importance. As well as reading. Reading is vital. Because without education, you'll never take that next step. Your human assets to any community is the educated mind. So without just reading, you know what I'm saying? Just that skill to begin with, you'll never take those next steps. That's why when I said a lot of people will hear me say without land, you're not really moving towards liberation. You're just studying. My point is I don't want to demean the incubation portion of growth. You need that like a child being in the womb. You need that internalized study of actual, not just literature, but, but studies and sciences. You need those skills that will enable you, empower you, and promote your growth from just theoretic knowledge to practically applied knowledge. So you talked about owning land. You talked about reading, which is education. And you're fulfilling both of these criterias as an author. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, Sure. I'm the author of um, When Waging War Against the Oppression of Black Women, Our Only Hope is to Kill God. That is a, a, a book that analyzes the patriarchal nature of Western religion and how it robs us of the power of the unification of true strength that comes from the relationship between black men and black women by attempting to subjugate one to the other. I'm the author of It Is Time, which is a step-by-step analysis and then solution-based guide for anyone looking to do collective liberation living. living, It helps go through um, where some of our problems stem from in our individual family growth and how we can resolve those things within a collective. I am the author of The Black Woman's Agenda, which is a free study guide available on my website, sisterlatava.com. That's S-I-S-T-E-R-L-E-T-A-V-A. If you click on books and click on Black Woman's Agenda, you can download a free copy of it. It is a study guide of five principal key things that black women must do to start both enhancing the relationship with other women, as well as creating an environment within our own homes and with our own selves to be conducive to healthier relationships with our men and children. I'm the author of General Orders for the Lionhearted. It is a small study guide for black women who are of that warrior mentality and how they can effectively love and grow love with black women who are also revolutionary. And did I name five titles? I think we're right there. Is it safe to say that most of your books are geared towards the black woman? No. Most of my work is interpreted as being directed towards black women, and I do primarily work with sisters. But all of my work is geared towards the black family. 
and the liberation of our people, period. I do a lot of work with training and developing brothers as well. But most of my work is interpreted as being geared towards black women because I am a black woman. And we're not in the habit of seeing sisters in leadership roles. But if you consider my title is not um, sister chief. It, it really is chief of it's of our collective. It's a military title. And we're quite militant and very um, adamant in our pushback against resist, uh, resisting oppression. As a chief, what is your primary responsibility to the community? The military aspect of our, not only defense, but our resistance. Okay. When we talk about the defense and we talk about resistance, we're talking about military strategy. And you also run a warrior's retreat, correct? Well, we run various programs. Um, what you're thinking of the warrior camp is actually one that is for our children. We do It feeds over into our rites of passage program, which again is for brothers and sisters. The warrior component of it is helping us to know what it takes to not only create, but also to defend a collective, a community. So we have like a candle that burns at both ends. We are both nation building and nation defending. So trying to put that in perspective for you, when I say the defense, it also encompasses the build. Because as we talked about the farm, it's not just a matter of health when it comes to growing your own food. It also, yes, learns forging. It also deals with economy because when you have land, you can become financially self-sufficient. You also learn about energy because you can produce alternative forms of energy. You can um, do as we're doing in Indiana, working towards getting off the grid. So we are one utility away from being completely off grid. You can develop an income base that occupies all members of your collective if you are committed to working your land. You know, our open enemy never fights over um, things. They fight for the first thing to be territory. And from there, they grow economies. We have to learn. Our oppression has been systematic. Our liberation will be systematic. That has to start with a territory. No matter how great or small, you must have land. And unfortunately, we've grown accustomed as a people to um, following self-appointed leaders who have mastered the art of reading or authoring, but have not yet put their hands to doing. And that's why we find many of our efforts are stagnant. And then you have many movements um, in many parts of the country. You have a lot of land controlled by African-centered black people. But most people will tell you, those of us who hold land and we hold one another to the accountability of, of work, and effort, you'll find that most people who are comfortable with studying our liberation, like you say, unapologetically black, are not comfortable getting their hands dirty. They are not comfortable investing sweat equity. They are comfortable with a mentality that is very difficult to get rid of. And that's the idea of being a bought owner, if you will. You want to buy yourself into a position of ownership. So you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, that's what I want to do. You know, Queen, I want to buy some land and then start me of this. And I'm going to bring these children out to start doing this work. And I'm going to get some other people to come and help. But they've never done that themselves. Or they've never worked alongside of collectives who are doing it. Because it's, it's very difficult. Speaking of collectives, in Brazil, you run a community family collective. Can you tell us... What is the difference between living in the United States and living aboard and running a collective there? 
Okay. I do live in Belize now. I've lived there not as escapism. I have not abandoned my people. That's something that's very important to me to be sure we're clear on. This is still very much so my fight. I left the States because I needed to put myself in an environment where I could be the most good to my people and the most good to my family. So living in Belize, we live on a shared living farm that is five generations now. And this farm, which is a beautiful, beautiful place to live with wonderful, wonderful people, is all black controlled. It is a black family that owns this farm. I live in a melanated town as Belize is a black country. It is black run, um, black governed. Everywhere you go, there's melanated business owners. The difference is living there versus living here in the States. We don't even realize how much stress and pressure we live with on a day-to-day basis by living in the States that keeps our minds occupied to a point that we cannot put quality thought to our own liberation. Living in a place like Central America, where families were allowed to maintain their family structures and traditions, things move at a much slower pace, and you have room and time to breathe and think. Here in the States, Most people are first and foremost concerned with how they're going to survive, literally as basic as how they're going to feed themselves every day, how they're going to feed their families every day. In Belize, that is a matter, you know, you do have to consider how are you going to make a living? However, for example, outside my door, there are oranges, there's coconut, there's avocado, there's mango, there's bananas, there's plantain. There's about 10 different fruits. You understand what I'm saying? The matter of feeding my family is never of major concern. Basics necessities are very cheap in Belize. Luxuries are very expensive in Belize. So you have an opportunity to, to decide your quality of life. Whereas here in the States, basic necessities are very expensive. Like there, I can buy bananas 10 for a dollar, which with the currency exchange rate is basically 10 for 50 cents. Oh, wow. So you understand what I'm saying? So you can afford to feed your family there. But it also clears your mind to be able to pay attention to more intense things. Like our people here, you'll hear a lot of rah-rah rhetoric, but they're really not familiar with what's going on in the political process. You'll hear a lot of um, complaining about just what you you your documentaries about the school system here, but you have very few, relatively speaking, very few um, African-centered people who are willing to take on the challenge of educating their own children. You know, some of the things that we experience and we complain about, we forget we have the most power. All we have to do is stop participating. So even to tell someone, you can stop complaining about their school system, just stop giving them your children. Most people won't do that. Most people won't take the responsibility of leaving their job and feeding themselves because most of us are educated in an environment, be it the school systems here or just the neighborhoods here. We're educated in a way that makes us useless to the rest of the world. Most people in this country, and I'm speaking only of black people, but it's true of all people. Most black people do not have a skill that would allow them to feed themselves if they left their job and had to just market their skill to the general public. They wouldn't know how to do it. 
It's easy for us to get used to pushing buttons. It's easy for us to get used to shuffling information. But in all actuality, in the rest of the world, that person is a useless food eater. And so as black people, when we leave the states, and I, I think that we should um, connect with our brothers and sisters everywhere. Now, I understand that Belize is in Central America. So my next question to you is, why not Africa? Why Belize? I can make this a stepping stone. I am actually headed to the continent. But the first thing I needed to do was get my children out of this hellhole. Sometimes we have a romanticized idea of the continent. The problems we experience here in the States started in Africa and are worse in Africa. Colonization started there. It landed us here. So while I'm on my way there, I'm returning to Africa not only because there's a debt owed, and I am a person who does believe there is a debt owed, but I'm returning to Africa to also be a help to the systemic hindrance that has affected my people. So when I left here and went to Central America, I simply took my children into an environment where everyone in authority looks like them. So if you're sitting in the States and telling someone, especially your child, you can be anything you want to be. See Barack Obama? That sounds good. But when you put your child in a submersive environment and everyone in position of authority looks like them, everyone, the predominant owners of businesses look like them. Gringos don't really run anything. They have no influence. And uh, gringos being Caucasians, they don't own anything. And (laughs) yes, yes, the Yurugu own nothing and they don't run anything. The things that they do, they buy up like they do everywhere. They buy up spaces of rainforest and they turn it into resorts. But as far as influence in the government process, they have none. And that is the environment I raised my children in because I raised my children to be revolutionary warriors. Well, you can't raise revolutionary warriors much like small plants and seedlings that you're growing. You start them in a greenhouse and you raise them in a protective environment, but you release them to an environment that's too harsh for them to ever take root and ever truly become those mighty oak trees that you raise them to be. Because before they come up, just like your, your documentary, they're cut down before they can grow. So it was my job to move them into an environment where they could become those mighty oaks. So when they do return amongst their people, they are an asset to their people and not a liability. Now, you mentioned rainforest. Most people will be surprised to learn it's illegal in certain states to collect rainwater or to use it for natural energy or anything else. How can something be illegal that comes directly from nature. That's almost saying it's illegal to be out in the sun. There is There are two things that you should be aware of and your listeners should be aware of. There are many states, at last count, about 21 states that have made it illegal for you to what they consider harvest rainwater. That means once rain falls from the sky, if it lands on any surface, it then belongs to the municipality within the which within that area that it fell on. So if it fell on your rooftop and you live in, what county are we in? We're in uh, Fulton County. Fulton County. So once it lands on the rooftop or your yard or the deck or the grass or the sidewalk, it now belongs to Fulton County. It is Fulton County's water. So if you 
prevent it from hitting the ground. Say it hits your rooftop and it goes into your rain collection system. That doesn't belong to you. You're stealing. That's one thing. Georgia, two years ago, they were trying to pass legislation, and I'm not sure that they did. They were trying to pass legislation that taxed homeowners who used solar panels to provide electricity for their homes because, and they were marketing it to the general population of Negroes and and hunkies, but they were marketing it to them under the guise that those people aren't paying their fair share of energy costs. So that means to agree to that, if voters vote on that and say, yeah, they should have to pay their fair share too, what you're essentially saying is someone has the right to meter, measure, and calculate how much I should pay them for using the sun, which none of us control. It's coming up or going down every day. But people don't pay attention to that. And the average Negro who flies our colors, that red, black, and green, is not even holding themselves responsible for learning the process of producing alternative energy so they can put up a good argument against allowing municipalities to place the argument or the tax on you for using solar energy. That's a failure that we have as a people. And that's what makes, when you mentioned the farming, um, I never write books if I don't feel like I'm an authority in that arena. If I haven't put my hands or feet to it, there's no need me having anything to say about it. That's unintelligent. You know, I have elders I answer to and listen to. I have a community that I'm responsible to that I represent. So until we hold ourselves accountable for not just sitting and uh, leaning on loud and, you know, it's more than just flying our colors. It's more than just shouting out RBG. It's more than just representing our blackness. It is holding ourselves to the responsibility of providing for the future generations that have to come behind us. What will we leave them? Our elders failed us when they allowed us to inherit this same war. Are we going to fail our children by allowing them to inherit the same war we inherited? Okay, family, real quickly, we're going to go to a commercial break. But before we go to that commercial break, I want to tell everyone to make sure that you subscribe to Necessary Blackness Podcast on iTunes and Google Play so that you do not miss another episode. And also, you can check out our archive episodes on iTunes and Google Play. And if you're interested in us hearing your thoughts on what you like or dislike about our podcast, make sure you email us at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail. And another thing, real quickly, family, pre-orders are now available at elementarygenocide.com for Elementary Genocide 3 Academic Holocaust DVD. The official street date is August 22nd. However, if you pre-order it, you will receive it in advance. We're talking at least five to seven days in advance. And also, you get a discount price for ordering it in advance. So make sure you go to elementarygenocide.com and get your order of Elementary Genocide 3 Academic Holocaust. And if you don't, 
already have Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline, or Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. Make sure you go to elementarygenocide.com and order it as well. You also can order it from Amazon. And real quickly, I have two events coming up. July 14th, I will be in Miami at the Lyric Theater, and I will be doing a screening of Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline, as well as a lecture. So my Miami family, make sure you come out and see me. And also, August 14th, 2017, I will be here in Atlanta at the Pan-African Conference. There will be more information on my Facebook and my Instagram and my Twitter. So make sure you follow me on social media and my handles at Raheem Shabazz. Hey, Atlanta, have you heard? True Laundry Detergent is now offering free shipping in the Atlanta area. Just text the word TRUE to 404-493-0523 or give us a call. That's 404-493-0523. True Detergent is four times concentrated and perfect for those HE washers. Just one ounce removes dirt, brightens fabrics, and leaves each load with a clean, fresh scent. Best of all, True contains no animal products, and it's safe for sensitive skin. Follow us on social media, True Detergent ATL. All right, we are back from our commercial break. And while we were on our commercial break, we was talking. Because you know, the conversation don't stop over here. Now, you was talking about economic empowerment and generational wealth. Can you talk more about that and how it helped us as a race of people? Sure. One of the things we have to be mindful of as black people here in the States or anywhere in the diaspora we miss the critical link of holding ourselves responsible for the generations coming behind us. Myself personally and those that I'm in um, community with, we have taken on a seven-generation commitment, meaning that we work our life long to make decisions and put our next seven generations in a position to make decisions for themselves. That is a huge responsibility. What we fail to do, generally speaking, and I'm speaking at this point of the general community of people who study African-centered knowledge of self, we tend to fail to understand the oldest institution known to humanity. That is marriage. That is the family unit. We fail to look at that for its true intent. And we tend to shy away from it. And we exploit one another in the same manners we've been exploited. And so ultimately what happens in that exploitation, we fail to prepare for the next generation and we fail to prepare the next generation because they are responsible. But if we don't hold ourselves responsible, meaning response able, then we can't adequately hold a next generation responsible. I raised my children. I'm a mother of eight. I have five grandchildren. I always taught my children, you are an investment. I didn't have children just because it was the thing to do, because I just love children. And I do love children, but that's not why I sent for them. I only have the children I meant to have. 
And I'm very intense about making sure they are aware of that. So when I say they are an investment, I invested a lot in my children, time, energy, effort, blood, sweat, tears, money, and work in my children. And that meant I expected a return on that investment, but I can't expect a return on investment if I don't make sure they even understand those terms. And therefore they understood when they got to be a certain age, if they didn't want to return on what I was putting in, two things were going to happen. One, mama's going to stop putting in. Number two, she's going to limit her protection of you. You are going to feel the blunt of everything you do outside of this protective hedge. There's a limit to my protection. If you won't return what I've given to you, but you cannot expect something from children that you didn't put in. So I can rest easy at night. I used to tell my children all the time, and I'm thankful I don't have homeless children or this, that, and the other, but their little asses better be thankful too because I'm their parent that is so okay seeing you live outdoors because I'm certain I gave you resources that prevented you from ever having to experience that. To graduate high school with me, you had to start and run a business for a year. That's part of your high school requirement. So when I tell you I expect you to be at the family business meeting, I expect you to be responsible for this department of the family business. I know you are capable of it. Now, if you decide that's not for you, you really want to pursue something else, I'm okay with that. But I know I have produced an active, productive part of society. And by society, I don't mean America. I mean those we are intentionally part of a community with. But I have an expectation of them. But what did that first start with? Me holding myself committed to them. We're not committed enough. Black men who say, oh, the black woman is God, they're not committed enough. Soon as I hear it coming out of their mouth, I'm telling you now, they're not committed enough. Sisters who say, oh, nothing but a black king is for me, they're not committed enough. Because it's not a bumper sticker, it's not a t-shirt, it's not the ooh, it's not, it's not the exterior stuff. It's how you're living. It's your day to day. I had a dialogue with a brother in Belize who has 11 children by 10 women. Nine of those women are white. What? This brother says to me, he says, I know about sisters like you. He said, yeah, in Europe, it ain't that I couldn't uh, see black women. It's just I couldn't afford them because he spent a lot of time in Europe. He said, white, black women in Europe are highly coveted. It take a lot to get a black woman in Europe because white men love them. It ain't nothing they won't do for them. He said, you you that kind of black woman that would really get a high price. You could name your price because you the type of black woman that would never have a white man. And any white man will give you anything you want because he wants to be that one. He wants to be that one exception. I said, yeah, I know you do know about sisters like me. Not only could that cracker not have me, you couldn't have me either. You understand what I'm saying? It's not that we're, we're unaware. See, here in the States, we are made to feel like sisters ought to be happy if a brother is paying her any attention. But brothers have gone for the okie doke. And I'm going to just tell you, worldwide, you all, brothers, black men, look like a joke, like you'd miss it. And I, I say this all the time. I say, man, we've had four hidden colors. And there was still room for this white money to put out hidden figures. You got to ask yourself, why? Why was there room for hidden figures to even be brought out? You know what he just showed the world? That not you, brother. So I ain't blaming you personally. I know somebody going to say, is she just something disrespect? That's not at all what this is. 
But understand, you you make documentaries. You're a filmmaker. If you have someone come right behind a film you've released and they show a portion that should have been part of your story, what they're doing, they have to criticize your story. They're showing you how your, your scholastics is lacking, right? So I'm saying we had one of our in-house filmmakers produce four chapters, four versions of this truth. And he had white money come right behind him and show how, and believe me, I'm, I've got a keen eye for this. The fourth Hidden Colors, a two-hour documentary. You have less than 15 minutes of conversation about black women. Your story can't live without me. So there's no way in the world you tell me about your life and you didn't tell me about your mama. This is just not going to happen. You and I started talking about your family just lightweight. You would tell me about your aunt, yeah. your grandmother. You mentioned these people. And it really, it was just about what happened after them. But you have to start your story with them. So this is what I'm saying. Our open enemy always shows how beautiful. Because in every power position they own, every place you find white men in control, they have two things. They got a black woman in the boardroom and they got a black woman in the bedroom. Even if they're not married to a black woman. Oh, they got a sister in the bedroom. White males in positions of power make sure they get access to this melanin. Because our pillow talk is more valuable than the stuff they pay these consultants for. And they got you, not you, but brothers that you represent, to look at us like we got to earn you. Like we got to qualify for this job. If brothers was really smart, especially when I'm talking about brothers, I ain't talking about common Negroes. I'm not talking about them average niggas. And I love niggas. I'll take niggas over Negroes any day. Because you can do something with a nigga. You can't do nothing with a Negro. That's just a wrap. But I'm saying our brothers who have any inkling knowledge of self, as soon as you start huffing and puffing and you subjugate your women, your white man know you're not a problem. Because he know he got you following what he put out in public. What he publicizes, we dominate our women. We are in charge. You know, we piss on everything. But as soon as you try to live that, he has robbed you of what is your best weapon against him. Because a sister will accidentally come up on a come up. A sister will accidentally find a hustle. Every little system they put out, that's why they keep changing it so much. You could take a sister that... They, they start, Reagan started talking about these welfare queens. The reason they was calling them welfare queens, because as soon as you tell a sister how to get a check, she's going to figure out how to get two. <laughs> you just, it's just, we're not even necessarily trying to open our genius. But as soon as they separate us, now here's the real kicker. I don't just say, brothers, y'all don't this, brothers, y'all don't that. The next part of that is, we don't hold y'all sisters. We don't hold y'all feet to the fire of manhood enough. We allow you to be adult boys. We're not doing you a favor. We're not doing you a favor by making it easier for you to want us. The same things that Becky Ann do to get brothers. When they say, white women, they support us. They don't give us all these problems. They don't nag us. They just let us be us. She's allowing you to sit stagnant. Not forcing you to grow. But the men who do the best are brothers who have sisters in their corner who are going to push them to greatness who are going to force them to come up, who are not going to allow him to fail on his dreams or allow him to give up on what he's after. She's going to make him have to man up in order to be with her. That's the sister you want because she's going to make you be your truest and best self. I tell people time and time again, 
that there is nothing like the warrior spirit of a black woman. Because you don't want no woman who is docile and submissive. You want a woman that will hold your feet to the fire. Now, I got two more questions for you. I want to talk about polygamy and how it's practiced in Africa and the way that it is being practiced here in the so-called conscious community. Give me your insight on that. Well, I am a poly woman. I'm from a poly family. So my views on it probably vary a bit. I had the great fortune of growing up with a father who taught me marriage isn't necessarily forever. And it's, this is not a system designed for two people to make it. So that alone has helped me in my own adulthood. The other thing is I grew up in a fairly liberal environment where we learned that family dynamics are made up of the components you need. So although I was always familiar with polygamy, it was never like what I hear a lot of people try to pigeonhole it to be. It was never just, oh, you're going to need one brother and five sisters. It was, you're going to need the dynamics of this to be whatever works because you're dealing with a fragmented people. And that's if it's a sister and two brothers, if it's uh, two sisters and two brothers, you know, I happen to have a lot of poly family friends that that's my personal life's makeup, but we've got everything from, uh, you might have one wife and two husbands, one husband, two wives of two husbands, two wives. It's what makes those family units work because all of my friends who my personal friends who we go way back and our focus is not the dynamic of adults. Our focus is the best provisions for the next generation. So all of the families that I speak of, you know, we ain't rolling in the dough, but they are solid when it comes to what will be the care or provisions for their next generation's next generation. So when it comes to polygamy, I think I mentioned the, um, oldest institution known to humanity. We have allowed ourselves to be emotionally wrung out when it comes to male-female relationships. And we've gotten far more engrossed in ownership of one another than we have in productivity with one another. The, The institution of marriage was designed to increase not only wealth, but control of assets, influence over families, you know, to empower the next generation's gene pool. We've gotten away from that. We've gotten hung up in this superficial stuff. And all you have to do is show me the productivity of the unit. And I can tell you the basis of their union. You know, if you tell me this brother got three women, I'm never going to be mad at that. But as soon as I see the, the next generation will squander and have nothing. He don't have an insurance policy. Neither of them have an insurance policy. They barely got a pot to piss in between them. They live in between two efficiency apartments. You know, that's bogus. That's bogus. First of all, for a man to have me, he's got to match my assets. He's got to match my assets. You're not going to be able to increase my territory. I already don't have any use for you. So now, once you just up your game with that, now you're going to have to show me how we can increase each other. I'm a force multiplier. If you have no force, zero times a million is still zero. So you understand what I'm saying? We have, and when we put ourselves in a position where now you have to justify your position, 
that might make you a little bit more leery of the position you apply for. And it's still going to keep taking us back to sisters have to have a position of what kind of opening do I have in my life? And what are the qualifiers for this job? Because this is damn sure a job. And if you can't do the job, don't apply. And there are qualifiers to this application. And it takes more than maleness. You know, it takes more than, oh, he think I'm fly. (laughs) I really vibe with the sisters. You know, think about it. You're already messing up what you say, the science of mating. You're already messing it up because most of these brothers don't even care if these women get along. They just care if they get along with him, which tells you right there, he don't even get something for everybody. His children won't have anything. And he just wants to be able to impress you. Uh, You got a lot of these brothers out here just bromantic. They're not with these women because they feel like they can afford them. They're not with them because they really feeling all these sisters like this. They just hoping they can impress another man. I'm always suspicious of that. I'm always suspicious of your flow. Because you want this brother to be impressed. You want him to ooh and ah over what you got. When I see brothers out flossing, and I'm not even going to drop their names, but y'all know them ones I'm talking about. They want to show pictures of them and this woman half naked, pictures of them in this car, pictures of them and they homie buying these shoes and this, that, and the other. Who is he doing that for? I'm always suspicious of a brother trying to impress another man. He's not talking to these sisters. That's kind of moist right there. It ain't kind of moist. That's just (laughs) what it is. And so the point being, when we start talking about polygamy, brothers and sisters have to be mindful. If they're not thinking from the perspective of, are we putting ourselves in a position where we are the most solid parenting team to create the best environment for raising any children as a result of this team? Are we doing this for the right reasons or are we doing this for vain purposes? You you understand what I'm saying? You got some sisters who just don't want to be responsible anymore. She just wants to yield all her responsibility to some brother. You got some brothers who just want to walk around and floss these are his three or four wives or whatever the deal is. I don't even know how people's get down is. But most people I can say that are part of my personal life, poly families, we don't typically vibe like that. You don't see them parading their spouses around. These are people working. They building their family's empire. They taking care of the next generation or so. You you probably know poly people that you don't even know they're poly people. So that's my view on it. I'm always suspicious of anything people do for superficial reasons. Now, the flip side of that is some individuals are in polygamous relationships and don't even know it. This is true. Which then I would take that back to another part of my child rearing. Grown folks don't have to lie. So if you got to sneak, lie, and hide, you already doing something wrong. Grown folks don't have to lie. And if you're just meeting your husband's other wife, that's not a polygamous relationship. He just shoved something down your throat. And it's like dudes used to say, treat them bad and make them like it. That's not, you can't say you're in a polygamous relationship. He brought his mistress home and you just decided to accept it because a baby is coming. That's not a polygamous relationship because if it was a polygamous relationship, everybody would have been clear on the front end. And, And he wouldn't have to try to, uh, hustle these women into being with him. You, you understand what I'm saying? You're not sneaking around in a polygamous relationship because there's an asset and an ad- advantage for everybody involved. If there's no advantage for everybody involved, you got at least one too many people involved. Now, since we're speaking on relationships, how do you feel music has affected? the dynamics of the male and female relationship? Uh, Music is a part of culture. And if you study 
human behavior and the aspect of mating, mating rituals of any, any plant life, animal life, anything that mates. All mating has the ritual of dance. Music is part of culture because it affects dance. If you go and you look at cultures where the music and the dance trends are partnered off, in those communities, you largely find, um, I'm for the sake of this conversation going to say two-parent households. If you think back in the 70s, let's think about Soul Train, the 60s, dancing was often a coupled activity. So if you think about Soul Train, you think about the couples coming down the Soul Train line, they'd had a little choreographed little dance moves, right? You come up through the 80s and get to the point where, you know, the B-boy, B-girl stance, you got to think about your dance, it became a battle thing. And before you know it, people were no longer, it started out dance groups, right? Everybody coordinated effort, danced together. You change from that before you know it, it's one dancer against another dancer. Now you come up now, if you go to a party, and I'm a person who loves to dance, you go to a party in clubs or parties where it's a largely Americanized black people, brothers don't dance. Remember the music came out, brothers don't dance. You know, that's not what American men do. Brothers don't dance. Men don't dance. So you got a bunch of sisters dancing on the floor together and brothers standing around watching. You go to any Islanders party, continental African party, the men dance. But look at the mating rituals of those people. What happened to the mating rituals of us? When we stopped dancing with each other, because the music is already telling us we don't dance, we just this, we just that, right? Our households started changing. The configurations of our households changed. Well, the configurations of households in other parts of the world, black women in America love black men from other places because they will dance with us. I know that sounds petty or silly, but they will literally dance with us, not get us pregnant on the dance floor. I mean, literally dance with us. You understand what I'm saying? It sounds like a small thing. But when your enemy decided to co-opt, not just plagiarize your style, but when they co-opted your style, when they now make you a corporate musician, a corporate artist, you needed to be suspicious because he can control your mating patterns. He can control the household dynamics because it's all going to go back to your music. Well, as the frequency of the music. Not just the frequency, but just... Think about some old school. You hear that first note drop and doggone it. You automatically, you already see the sister you with. You already know, yep, you mad as hell with this dude. But that song, come on, you can slide up next to brother like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm over it for four minutes and 37 seconds. You know, I'm going to go back to being mad at you in just two more minutes. But the reality is when our open enemy stopped just plagiarizing and started actually sponsoring, endorsing, that mean they got to say so. So they've dictated all that has anything to do with our, our mating rituals, our household dynamics, and not just controlling us through frequency. They've been doing that to everybody. They do that with everybody. But this is now affecting the dynamics of the households who like certain type of music. And I like hip-hop music. But I ain't crazy. I also can read. I'm also a scholar. I also, you know what I'm saying? I'm a revolutionary person. We have to know we have an enemy. When you say you're at war, they don't show up at war with a gun. They at war with you with everything. Everything. Everything's used against you. You have to use everything for you. And you can't just say, man, we're not listening to hip-hop in this music, in this house. Uh, Jazz only. You can't shut them out enough. Because... 
this monitor, this TV series, they're here. They're here. They're in here. The words we choose to use, the way we view things, you have to do more than just try to reject them. You have to openly, aggressively resist them. You have to deny them their impulse and their, um, their influence on your life. You have to be more and more committed. The, the number one thing they want us to do is to abandon each other. You got to be that much more committed to loving us. Before we go, I want to thank you for being a revolutionary and speaking up, not just for sisters, but for brothers as well. Now, we talked about familyhood, and you have a book that has a very controversial topic, and it's called Waging War Against a Black Woman. So my last question before we wrap up is, what war is being waged against a black woman, and what can we, and when I speak of we, I'm talking about brothers, do to stop this war against our sisters? Guard the gate. The title of that book is When Waging War Against the Oppression of Black Women. Our only hope is to kill God. What we need our brothers to do more than anything is guard the gate. One thing that we've allowed our enemy to make us fearful of is black women gathering, talking, meeting in private. There's a lot of shit that sisters need to work out in the sisterhood. There's a lot of stuff that we as black women need to be held accountable to and for. And we cannot do that in open court. It has to happen behind closed doors amongst the sisters. Just like men know men, women know women. And there's some things that if we don't do privately, we'll never flush it out. There are some pains that involve us as sisters, and there are some pains that involve our men that we need to go inward and flush out in order for us to come out able to love you. Because as black men, we need you to understand something. We have been hurt by you. Intentionally or unintentionally, there are a lot of men who grew up as boys in an environment that didn't teach them not to harm susceptible girls. So by the time the average black woman reaches adulthood, before it's, it's one of these things, and this is an unfortunate thing to say, the average black woman, her virginity has gone before she knew she had it. Now that's a tough pill to swallow. The average black woman's virginity is gone before she knew it was a thing to keep. Now those same girls who were damaged in childhood are expected to be our mothers your wives, your, your life partners, how can we? Especially when we grow up behind these generations who are told not to speak on it, not to be open about it. So if you have someone that has experienced a pain and told they should suffer in silence, it's no different and it is in addition to how white people try to tell you they don't see color. We all know... Get over slavery. Get over it. We know how it feels to have this wrong done to us. And when we try to just bring it in open form, somebody deny its relevance. We know it's relevant. So we need our brothers to guard the gate. We know most of our brothers hurt us without a knowledge of what they're doing. And we can heal from it if we're given the room and capacity to do so. But you can't have somebody trying to um, forcefully heal you. You know, the average brother, I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm not that dude. I didn't do this to you, you know, because you you reaping now the backlash of this. 
And he might be telling her truth, but the manner in which he's handling it, that's not going to help. This is going to do more harm than good. So we really need brothers to safeguard because there's a lot of ignorant males. When we first started the black woman's agenda, you would be shocked. We had males logging on because we didn't have a way to initially, we didn't have a way to have private form where it was just sisters, where we would share just private code. So we would have males coming on, exposing themselves to us. And we really just having dialogue about how we can heal ourselves so we can love our men better. They will come on and cuss us out. If you look at my YouTube videos, you'll see people on there, males talking about how I'm just a male basher, this that, and the other, calling me all kind of names and this. And you're probably never going to meet a sister who loves black men like me. It's just, it's going to be hard pressed for you to do that. But they can't even hear it because they're so fearful of what it must mean. But you always have to be mindful. If you are afraid of what the women say when you're not around, you sound just like white folks who didn't want the slaves gathering without them being present. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so guard the gate for us, brother. That's what we need y'all to do to protect us from other brothers who try to impose upon us when we're just trying to grow and heal to be better women. In closing, one minute or less, give us your closing word. My closing words are, I have not abandoned our people. I'm always open and welcoming more growth and development together. I have quite a few projects going on that are specifically designed to help others develop in their liberation movements. If you'd like to learn about any online classes I have coming up, if you'd like to visit some of our campuses, now understand when you come to visit, you work. We do not feed you if you do not work. We're going to hand you a glass of water and send you on your way. But you come to www.sisterlatava.com, S-I-S-T-E-R-L-E. T-A-V, like victory, A.com. And you'll find updated classes, downloadable books. You can order books to be mailed to you um, that will come hard copies to you. You can get involved in a lot of things, but I have to stress work. We work. We don't just, I don't do lectures. I don't travel anymore to just speak. I'll do a training series in your area, but you have to understand while you have some people who feel like our knowledge is free, freedom isn't. We have to support our own and finance our own freedom. I want to give a big shout out to Akua Agusi for bringing you by. And I'm honored to meet you personally. And I want everyone to go out and please purchase this sister book. Make sure you support her and her revolutionary work and stay committed to African liberation. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and we are getting ready to get up out of here. Make sure you check us out each and every Wednesday, and on certain Fridays, we will be broadcasting as well. Um, you will know a week in advance. Just be sure to follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, and definitely follow us by subscribing to us on iTunes and Google Play. Peace and power, black family. I will see you same time next week.